Hello everyone and welcome to Plugged In with Diane Warren. Today we're very excited to welcome our special guest, Robin Cook Ritchie. She's the Executive Director of Lawbook Literacy Ontario, the Literacy and Basic Skills Manager of Grand Erie District School Board, and the owner of RCR Consulting. She's here to chat with us about what makes literacy and basic skills programs a hit with adult learners. This podcast was produced by the team at Good Learning Anywhere, and our theme music is by bensound.com. We're your hosts, Diane Altimbalek and Warren Butler. Hi, Warren. How are you today? Hey, I'm good, Diane. How are you? Good. I am really excited about today's topic. I'm super excited about today's guest. All of that. How about you? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, definitely looking forward to having Robin join us this morning. Uh, the day's been off to an interesting start. Uh, my one son had a, a 6.45 a.m. hockey practice and uh, four kids showed up. Oh my <laughs> so, gosh. That's kind of a rough start to the day. Um, just, you know, everything's opening up. You think people would be a little bit more excited to, to kind of get back to normal. So that was an interesting start. What do they even do when only four kids show up to practice? A lot of skating. Oh, my gosh. So, so that was an interesting start. Um, but as I was waiting, I don't know if you guys, have you guys played this game Wordle? Have you guys been playing this at all? I have been far too busy to pick up a new game, honestly. Really? Yeah. So I think this thing, maybe it's just because, you know, working in literacy, it's maybe caught on with me a little bit. It's resonated, but um, I was able to get the answer in the first try. Oh, that's pretty cool. I'm not even sure how it works. I have not even picked it up and looked at it because I've seen so many people get into it. And I really, really love word games and puzzles and stuff. And as soon as I saw it floating around on my Facebook feed, I thought, this is something that I'm going to get hooked on and I do not have time to get hooked right now. So I've just been avoiding it at but you all know what the costs. Best, you know what the best thing about it is, is I, I don't like getting into these things as well because they, they're addictive and, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. But there's only one puzzle per day. Oh, that's so kind of cool. So you only get one shot at it. So I think it at midnight it releases a new puzzle. But uh, it's interesting because all the answers, they're only five letter words and they'll give you hints if you've got the right letter in the right place, or if you have the correct letter, it's just in the wrong order. And then obviously they'll tell you what you've, what you've got right. And you just kind of figure it out from there. But anyways, so it's... how do you start it though? Like, do they give you a starting letter or something like that? Or do you just throw a guess out there? Just guess. You just throw out your first five letter word that comes to mind and try to get it done in six tries. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. So, anyways, that's my positive. So <laughs> I'm going to start my day with a positive and then carry on from there. Well, it's pretty impressive. You were able to get the puzzle on the first try. Um, well, knowing, yeah, knowing and, that I, and I have to, detail. and I have to admit though, because when we were driving to the rink, um, we were listening to the radio station and the, the host, the DJ says, I got it wrong, but he goes, I think I got it wrong because I'm Canadian. And I was thinking, oh, okay. So there was a bit of a hint there. One of the words is color, I take it? No, but you're on the right track. So <laughs> instead of uh, the, the answer being a O-U-R, 
It was just OR. Okay. I see. I see. Oh, gosh, I could talk about fun stuff like this all day long, but we have even more fun stuff to talk about. So without further ado, I want to introduce everybody to our special guest, Robin Cook Ritchie. And we want to say hi, we want to say welcome, and we want to ask you, what do you do? What is your role in all of these places that we mentioned in the re- in the preamble? Um, well, thank you. First of all, thanks for having me today. I'm pretty excited to do this. This is my first ever podcast. Um, I do lots and lots of things online, lots of webinars, but I've never done a podcast. So it's kind of exciting and a good first for me. And I just want to comment on the Wordle. Um, I too, I'm so intrigued, but I am like, I am a compulsive gaming person so I know if I start something I will just get obsessed with it so I've tried not to start doing Wordle and apparently Warren there are some strategies that you can use um, to uh, the first off strategy that you can use to try to eliminate a lot of things so I've been watching people on Twitter playing and and kind of keeping track but have have managed not to do it yet so I'm going to keep trying not to do it at least until the end of the current uh, fiscal year in literacy and basic skills uh, so once we flip fiscal years maybe I'll, I'll find some time for that so um, anyways, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm, I'll kind of give you a rundown. I'm the executive director of Laubach Literacy Ontario. So that's a provincial support organization in Ontario. And what we do is that uh, we do lots of things. We provide training and support for agencies across the province. Our particular organization doesn't necessarily stream, uh, serve one particular stream or sector. We kind of are open and anybody can be a member and we'll support anybody who does join our organization or even those who haven't joined. So one of the big things we do is we offer practitioner training there and we have a whole training system um, where we uh, have materials that um, allow organizations to train tutors and practitioners to be able to give them the tools they need to work with adult learners. So our training system is for people who have, have no experience, have never done it before, and can walk in, receive the training, and then actually work with adult learners. Um, and our kind of our tagline or premise is each one teach one. So that idea that uh, one person can teach another person. Um, the literacy skills they need. So that's what I do in my my one position. I also um, manage the literacy and basic skills program at a school board. And at that school board, I also look after English language training. So that's language instruction for newcomer adults and then the um, provincially funded English as a second language. And we also run a, a CLARS assessment center, which is coordinated language assessment for newcomers. So I do a little bit of all of that. Um, my consulting company, I've been doing that forever and I do lots of project work. I do lots of webinars. I do lots of training, um, often for other support organizations. So that's kind of kind of the three big things I do. I've been around for about in this field for about 25 years and um, I've done I've done it all. I've worked as a tutor. I've worked as an instructor. I've worked as a researcher. I've worked as a writer and I have also worked as an administrator and sometimes all of those things at the same time. Wow, that is a lot. I don't even understand how you have the hours in a week to even accomplish some of that stuff. Yeah, I just I I love the field. So I I mean, this wasn't my the field I studied for. I kind of fell into it by chance. And when, once I did, I never looked back. I just really enjoy the work I do. And I love 
I love being able to work at all those different levels because it gives me great perspective um, in terms of, you know, what people have to do on the ground and what people have to do in the administration. And, you know, it it's it's just a great, I, I love being able to have my hands in all of those things. You know, sometimes I get a little, you know, little over in over my head, but, but, you know, that's just the nature of the way I am. So I can relate to falling into this field because uh, literacy and basic skills was not something that I trained for or had any intention to pursue either. Um, after I had finished grad school and uh, came up with a degree in sociology, my husband had actually met Tina Reed on a plane and he was talking about how proud he was of me. And she was basically like, hear me out with her skill set. This might be a field she's really interested in if she wants to get into teaching down the road. And we became friends, we talked and everything. And uh, she was actually the one that called me up and said, like, hey, this organization, Good Learning Anywhere, is looking for something that's right up your alley. It's exactly what we talked about. You should give this a try. And this has become my home in my career now. And it was just really interesting how something I wouldn't have seen for myself, um, Tina saw as a really, really good fit. And I'm glad that I trusted her and took her advice on this because it's difficult to picture myself doing anything else at this point because I found yeah. passion here. Yeah, I, I totally hear you. I, I too had somebody who kind of drew me into the field. So I, I'm, a, I'm actually a lawyer and um, I had finished law school and I had articled and I was um, actually, uh, I decided that it would be the good time to have kids before I went and started practicing law. And while I was pregnant, um, somebody who was on a um, board of a local literacy council, who I had worked for in between university degrees at an automotive manufacturing facility, came to me and said, we're looking for somebody to fill a four month contract. We know you're pregnant. Um, we know you're bored. Would you like to come and do that for four months? <laughs> and, and the timing just worked out. And I, I went and did that. So that's how I kind of got drawn into the whole field of literacy. And then fast forward, ended up having two kids, thinking it would be better to do that than start practicing. And through that process, I just kept working on projects. And uh, Laubach Literacy Ontario actually hired me to do some pro some big project work. And then I just kept doing that. And we're, and then the school board asked me to do some work, and I, I just kind of fell into that. Um, as it turned out, both of my kids ended up having cystic fibrosis and uh, they're both diagnosed at the same time. So the ability to work in a field that I was loving and not have to sell my soul for work just made sense for me. So I ended up, I ended up kind of having the best of both worlds. I have flexibility. I worked in a field I loved. I was able to be around and, and you know, really support my kids. So it was, it kind of all worked out and, and the more I worked in this field, the more I loved it. So saying it kind of similar, but it was that person who I had worked for before who said, Hey, why don't you come and do this? I think this is a good fit for you. I think you would really like it, even if it's only for a little while. So that's amazing hearing stuff like that come together. But now I've got to ask Warren, how did you get into literacy? Cause I didn't think that you were, uh, trained for this initially when you started your career path either. Is that true? Yeah, very much so. So prior to me joining Good Learning Anywhere, I was a senior account executive for a 
I'm not going to give them a plug, but a major courier company in Canada. And uh, so I did a lot of traveling away from home a lot. And it just started to wear on me a little bit. And uh, oddly enough, it was one summer I was at Linda's house for a barbecue. So I've known Linda's husband since university. We were roommates. And uh, so we were over there for a barbecue and I was trying to understand what Linda was doing and she would explain it to me and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And she was like, yeah, we're growing, you know, we're getting busy and, you know, we could use a little bit of help. And I had taken some time off um, for a parental leave to be with my, my youngest son. And I was like, oh, I, I can help. Like I, I can spare some time and teach a class or whatever it is. And then next thing you know, it just kind of kept kept growing from there. And it started off as just kind of a part-time contract to help out. And then next thing you know, here we are 12 years later, <laughs> doing all kinds of crazy things, you know, working in this field, you learn a lot of different things. You work in a lot of different areas, whether it's training and mentoring and data administration and HR marketing. Now we're doing podcasts. So it's, uh, it's been exciting 12 years for sure. Oh yeah. There it's, it's funny that people kind of view us as, you know, teachers because we're in literacy and basic skills and we provide those educational opportunities and so forth. And in order to even accomplish that, we constantly have to learn new skills and so forth and keep on going, which is another reason we're so grateful for people like you, Robin, because it's great knowing that there are training facilities. So when we know that there's a gap and we can't quite figure out what that gap is, we can call you. And uh, that's kind of beautiful and amazing and an example of how awesome some of these relationships that we build can be. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. So we've talked about this at various times throughout this podcast and so forth, is what are the impacts of COVID on your program? We've talked about the impacts on ours. We've, uh, you know, talked about the, imp- the impacts on us seeking prevention, uh, professional development and so forth. COVID was actually sort of the catalyst for us even starting this because we wanted to reach our partners, but everybody was just webinared out. Um, Warren even uh, several times has actually referred to death by PowerPoint. And we we're like, let's just create some content and people can access it uh, on their own terms on a casual basis. So that was the positive that we drew from COVID-19. And we're just kind of wondering what the impacts on you were. Yeah, so from the perspective of LLO, from the, pro- the provincial support organization, I think the first big major impact and it's it's impacted us throughout is it it we we've always held a huge annual conference we've done that every year and it's a face-to-face conference and the thing about our conference the thing that's a little unique about it is that it was for practitioners but it was also for learners so we always had a stream of training that was specific to learners and we offered subsidies for learners to come and so the first, it, it's usually in June. And so, of course, the first major thing that happened to us is we had to decide what to do about that. Obviously, we couldn't do it in person. And I was really hesitant to try to do an online conference because I knew other people were already planning on doing that. People who had a lot more time than three months to plan something like that. And I knew we were going to get inundated with online, online, online conference webinars. I knew that was going to happen. I just, I knew that that would be the initial reaction. 
So we decided as an organization that we wouldn't do that. And we we have limited funds. So we had to we had to be smart with what we did. So we thought it would be better to try to support service delivery agencies in other ways. And one of the first things we did was really focused on sourcing and developing materials practitioners could use online with learners and digitizing some of our own materials so that we had the ability to kind of pivot and flex with some of the things that people were used to using. And by online, I, I think we're not talking about actual online delivery. We're talking about something that's different. It's it's delivery where they're, you're supporting people online, maybe through Zoom or things like that. But there's still, you know, it's it's a different thing than delivering online courses. So we did at the very, I did like six or seven weeks of actual like weekly themed OALCF linked, oh, I'm sorry, Ontario Adult Literacy Curriculum Framework, which is our underlying system linked materials for people to kind of grab onto at the beginning so people could get their footing and just, you know, take a breath and think about what they were going to do. And then we kind of decided to um, focus on bolstering our tutor and practitioner training because that is what a lot of what we do um, and really focus on making that more fulsome in an online way so that people can access that. And we've continued to do that through this fiscal year. The thing is, we'd actually moved towards that more like we've had our tutor training parts of it online for almost 10 years. So we've been working on this for a long time. But what we've decided it through this is to really, really kind of support it and make sure that the whole system is available online. And what I'm talking about, the practitioner and tutor training. Um, and we've continued to work on that in a number of different ways. So that's what the big thing was with the support organization that I, I run. But also I had the the service delivery agency. So the agency that was running with, with um, you know, actually delivering services directly with learners. And I can tell you that that has been like just a monumental, COVID has just like thrown us for a loop because not only did we have to navigate public health and what those restrictions are, but we're also dealing with a school board. And school boards are like, the 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 hoops and levels and rules and changing regulations to try to deal with. So our program isn't actually located in a school board building. It's in a rented facility, and that facility is run by the university. So we're renting space from the university, and of course, then you have that whole layer of of stuff on top, right? Because the university would close the building and then they'd open the building and then they had rules about the building. Well, so did the school board. And internally, we were trying to manage that. So what we did is we just really focused on trying to make sure that we had as many options pos as possible for learners at any given moment in time, given rules and restrictions. So, you know, it might be, we had people coming in, um, you know, doing one-on-ones when we could. Uh, we we rearranged our whole space so that we could have very, very teeny, tiny, small groups in there. So we used to have 12 to 14 people in the room. Now we have the maximum of four with an instructor. Um, if we are running any type of programming that's, you know, like, that the, the people are coming in regularly. And we've done a lot of, you know, online support using um, primarily Zoom. Uh, we It took us a year. We finally have access to all the school board tools. 
took us almost actually took us close to two years to get access to Brightspace and to Teams for our learners because they weren't registered with the school board. So it's just been like a myriad of challenges. um, And we've just tried to really, I don't know, do whatever made sense for each individual learner. On a, and my staff has just been spectacular at like doing whatever they could to meet the needs of learners. So, um, but still the challenges aren't over yet because we're still kind of living in this weird la la land of are we open? Aren't we open? Are you know the last time everything closed down, we just stayed open because I I got tired of you know changing back and forth and back and forth. So we never closed down during this last you know the January kind of. Uh, point where a lot of places closed down again, but we kept it very safe, you know, one person at a time, that kind of thing. That is a lot of challenge to endure and especially heading into, well, two years dealing with this. I applaud you and your staff for pulling out all the stops and doing what it takes for your learners. Uh, We have a very learner success driven philosophy here at Good Learning Anywhere. So seeing partner organizations and other people in the field doing the same stuff kind of gives me a little bit of a warm fuzzy, kind of makes me feel like we're on the same page and we're using we're using the field of literacy and basic skills to advocate for people as much as we can. And this has given us a good opportunity to show what we can do in those situations. Not that I, I wish this kind of pressure on anybody, but I have been very, very impressed with some of the stops that people have pulled out. Yeah. One of the things we had to do too with the with the service delivery face-to-face program is I really had to, and this for me was hard because I'm a I'm very um, I don't know, not competitive, but I like to meet goals. And I had to give up. Like, I just had to tell everybody, let's not worry about numbers anymore. I don't really care about numbers. Um, because we are never going to meet them given all the restrictions we have. Um, I, we just can't do it. We've also, you know, we're not getting referrals even from, we get, a, you know, the school board. So I've just said, like, let's just do the best we can with the people that still want to learn and can learn right now and not worry so much about the numbers. Um, and that was hard for us because we have never, ever not met our numbers. So, and that's a big deal for us. Like we take pride in, in, in like supporting learners, but we also take pride in the fact that we are meeting you know, meeting the requirements of of the funder and and that that sort of thing. So that's been a challenge for us as well. And you got to think too, with the training element, right? You know, going through a pandemic, it's one thing, you know, you have to train practitioners and tutors and things like that, um, just about instructing. But now we're going through, there's a lot of other barriers that are popping up through this pandemic. And it's, it's almost like practitioners are, are part social workers, part teacher, part life coach, you know, they've got to, you know, offer a little bit of everything to, to support everyone. And, and that's hard. It, it's not easy. It can be, it can be draining on people. Um, it can be draining on staff and, you know, but uh, I think to have good leadership, it, uh, it really helps kind of support everyone, you know, get through it together. And one thing too is uh, LBS instructors tend to be a very, very flexible bunch to begin with because we have to deal with a lot of things like assessments and identifying different learning styles and supporting people who have various challenges. And, you know, like we had already mentioned, we're constantly learning, constantly training, constantly upping our skills base and everything. So um, one thing I do feel fortunate for is I feel like we are a really, really adaptable group and we will get through this. 
And, you know, this is a good segue in the next point I actually wanted to talk about is um, partnerships. Uh, we're very, very driven people just like you, uh, Robin. Um, but yeah, definitely competition or competitiveness is definitely the wrong word because we do rely on our partnerships. Um, especially to foster blended learning opportunities for our learners because Good Learning Anywhere is a 100% online organization. And our parent organization, Sue Hudson Literacy Council, deals with face-to-face learning through their learning center. So there's very, very little crossover between uh, the blended opportunity with our on-the-ground staff and our out-in-digital-space Good Learning Anywhere program. So we rely on a lot of other organizations in a lot of different areas of the province. So we're wondering what your experiences are with blended learning and working with e-channel and partnership organizations. So I guess I I can look at it from a few different perspectives. Um one of the one of the things that I've had the opportunity to do through my consulting work over the last you know several years is work with the e-channel organizations um, every year and be participate kind of as a facilitator through some of those discussions. So I'm kind of lucky because I have a a lot of knowledge and information about e-channel, and I think that's one of the like to me because I also look at it from the other side of the coin as a program, a service delivery program, and then a support organization, I think one of the challenges continues to be um, just people understanding and knowing about e-channel and knowing that um, blended learning can really benefit learners. And it can also benefit programs. I mean, programs that are stretched and maybe can't fill every need, there's needs that e-channel can fill. So from that per, I'm lucky because I have that perspective because I know about eChannel. I think from a support org point of view, what I try to do, we use social media a lot to communicate. And, you know, we also have newsletters and those types of things. So we try to promote eChannel on social media channels um, so that the, our member programs know about it and understand that it's out there and that it's something that they can access. Um, so I think that's one of the, th- the one of the, things from a program, a service delivery agency, we have had and encouraged learners to um, participate in e-channel courses over the years. Not a ton, I'll be honest, but when it makes sense, um, when we have a learner who um, there's something that, you know, they want to do and it's available through e-channel, through one of the e-channel organizations, and it makes sense for them to participate in that, then we have encouraged them and had them actually complete some courses in that way. And what's nice about that is that they can still work with us and can work with e-channel at the same time. And often the learners that we're working with or seeing don't have access to the technology and things like that. So we can give them those supports in-house. They can complete the courses while they're in our in our facility. And it, and it allows us to support them through that process if there are any challenges that arise. So, I mean, honestly, we haven't done it a ton. We've done it when it's made sense. And, um, and it can be a really beneficial thing um, for people to participate in. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things, and I think I'm always the first to say it, is, you know, I think online learning and e-channel, it's not for everybody. Like, it, like what Robin's saying is, if it makes sense for that person and that individual, it's an option that's there. But it's not, it's not for everybody, and that's okay. There's certainly 
nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think it's important. I mean, when I'm kind of have my, you know, support org hat on, I like to say to encourage people or, you know, when I'm out doing training, I've done training and I've incorporated, you know, talking about e-channel. One of the things I I try to kind of explain to people is that, first of all, you're not having a client access or a learner access e-channel. It's not like a competition, right? Like you're not competing for clients. It's about what's best for the client. And Sometimes organizations just don't have the capacity to offer everything. The reality is we take learners in and they could have like, like there's an infinite number of goals that they could have. And sometimes like you can't, you can't develop curriculum or lay your hands on curriculum or support people in every single thing that's out there. So using eChannel as a resource when you're kind of a brick and mortar program um, to access for learners, content that maybe is going to be hard or challenging for you to access is a great, I think, a great way to look at it. Um, it takes the pressure off of the program. It's great for the learner. And it also kind of builds another skill set, like that digital, you know, digital tech skill set by having them access an online, like an online course, especially if they can be supported in-house while they're doing it. So we've seen a lot of success working with programs as well, especially when they have on-site support. Like I remember when I first started, I was talking to an on-site practitioner and we were in a, in a live class at the time. And I remember the practitioner reached out to me afterwards and said, I, I can't remember the, the learner's name, Joe or whatever it was. He was literally like sweating in front of the computer, like dripping in sweat. His hands were shaking. You know, he would move the mouse and he was like, very curious, like what just happened? Like, did I break anything? And it was just so helpful to have, like, you know, I'm sitting on the other end of my computer. We don't have cameras on and I don't know what that person's going through. Um, but it was very, very helpful to have that, you know, on the ground help. And then to get that feedback afterwards and, you know, next thing you know, they start coming to another class and they start to feel a little bit more comfortable and they kind of understand, they see what it looks like and how it works. And, you know, next thing you know, they're on their way, but it's really nice having that on the ground support, especially when there's, a, you know, there's tech issues that pop up here and there. So I've really missed a lot of the CN sites, the contact North sites that have closed down for the duration of, of the pandemic, because um, we've really, really had to sort of adapt. And um, the the wonderful thing is it motivates us to reach out to other partnership organizations that we may have used left less uh, in the past and everything. But I miss the freedom of having telling somebody it's like, you know, for extra support, we've got this person, this person and this person at X, Y, and Z learning centers that can sit you down on a computer and walk you through it in person. And it might be a little bit easier for you. And that sense of loss of those partnerships and the sense of, I don't know what happened to the learners that need the in-person support that are no longer getting it. That's kind of been like the biggest hit for me in a professional sense from this pandemic. But I am really, really grateful for the breadth of other organizations out there who have kind of taken up that mantle now. Yeah, I, I was just going to say one of the things that um, Contact North, uh, so Contact North support obviously supports the each of the 5e channel organizations as well. And I do do some work for them. As I mentioned, I've had the opportunity to work with those organizations. Uh, one of the things that is being worked on this year is kind of like a, a, an outline of, of skills that somebody might we should really have in order to take an e-channel course. And then it's not a curriculum per se, but it's, it's an outline for 
brick and mortar practitioners to say, here's the skill, here's some curriculum that's already out there that you can use to work with the learner to get them to the point where they would be able to, you know, participate in, in e-channel courses. So it's, it's pretty long. It's like four sections of the kind of skills that came, were brainstormed by practitioners um, from e-channel and from the field who have, you know, see both sides of it. And um, it's something that um, I think will be helpful for, for brick and mortar programs. I'm using that term just to kind of distinguish, but you know, those hard, th those programs to say, okay, well, here's all the things that would make sense. Here's the skills people need to really be able to participate fully in an e-channel course. And here's, I don't have to like reinvent the wheel. Here's like a a, a link to something to walk, you know, to get those skills, to build up those skills. So that is something that's being worked on. But I hear you about that, like those other places closing down and even, you know, like the closure of, of like the CN sites, but libraries, like libraries haven't been open. There's so many different places where people would be able to access the technology. Um, employment service agencies, that's another one. So, you know, they often have like computer labs and people can access those. Uh, Ontario Works often have computer labs where people can can go in and use those, those resources. And, you know, there's a dedicated person there to help you in all of those places. And all of those shutting down, opening, shutting down, opening, people just don't have options. And of course, we don't have the infrastructure in LBS to hand out devices to everybody. And, and we don't have the infrastructure in the province for people to have access to good internet. And, you know, there's just so many, so many issues right now. That's actually something that really, really kind of sticks at me is the lack of digital equity and some of the things that the province kind of spends money on when they could be working on bridging those gaps and something as simple as blanket public Wi-Fi in a remote community doesn't seem that out for me or satellite internet or something because like if you have access to the connectivity that you know it doesn't solve all of the issue but it kind of makes the issue a different level of manageable because then we only have to worry about the devices if everybody can get on the internet and the only roadblock is the devices maybe we can start um, working with other programs or charities or something like that to work on that stumbling block. But that is uh, that is a different rant for a different time. So we should probably spin this into our next topic, which I think is a fun one. We want to ask you what your least and most favorite parts of working in this field are. So hmm, that's a good question. I think my, I think one of my favorite things about working in the field is is honestly working with people who like what they do and are here because they like what they do because um, nobody's in this to make a million dollars if you're working in this field you're in it because you actually like what you're doing for the most part or you don't last long right you know that's why we have a lot of churn in this field because people don't last long but the people who have been around for a long time are here because they love to be here so I love that about the field and the other thing I love about my the way I'm set up is that I even though I'm I work in administration kind of in all the jobs I do I still work in a face-to-face -face program and I actually get to interact with learners. So if I, the program I work in is very small, 
And so if somebody's not there, like an instructor is not there, I actually might have to take the class over for the day. And that's fun. And usually I have no idea what I'm doing at that point. And that's okay. Um, but I still get to interact with the learners and I get to, you know, I get to see those success stories for real. Like I'm actually involved in them. So I love that because it's super motivating. Um, and the other thing I love about this field, I have a real love for the developing like the online learner learning for practitioners and trainers. That's kind of always been the thing I love to do. Um, so that like I the problem is I never get a chance to ever finish anything or do anything because I'm too busy doing all the administration. But I do love that. I love that kind of that's my creative outlet. So I love technology. I love, you know, I love building courses. I love doing all of that. I just don't get enough time to do it as much as I'd like. I, I hear that. I get really, really excited because my favorite part about this job is creating new curriculum. It's great teaching and everything. I, I do really, really love that aspect of, well, I do like interacting with my learners um, through our mentorship aspects and so forth. But the part of the year I always look forward to is our summer course development. So I definitely hear you there. But uh, you seem to have your hands in a lot of different practices and you seem to be accessing the admin and the learners. You're involved in so many different aspects of it. So you must have some really, really good best practice ideas for successful LBS programs. Yeah. I, I mean, I think one of the things I've always tried to maintain and, and, I think is really important to successful programs is the community, like when you're talking about, you know, face-to-face -face programs is community connections because the majority of programs outside of the e-channel programs, they're located within communities and every community is different. And I think it's really important to be a part of that community. And as much as I hate going to meetings, go to community meetings um, and make sure that you're constantly reminding people that you exist and sometimes I get mad about that too the fact that we have to constantly remind everybody that we exist but it's really important and I think what's what's cool about LBS is that it's kind of wide open in a lot of ways in terms of what we can do because really I mean we we are literacy programs, but what we really do is prepare people for all sorts of different things so that they can be successful um, in the world, really, like whether it's at work or, you know, at home or just in the community, whatever it is. So I think what it's important if to be a successful program to make sure that your community partners and the community knows this and knows that you can fill all those needs. Um, and I think that also helps you become a very successful program in your community. Um, we, you know, at, at times we have gone out to agencies and said, hey, like, what, what do you think you need? Like, what is it that you need? Um, we, our program developed one of the original digital basics kind of targeted training programs in the province in terms of the, the the agencies and how we did that is we went to employment services and we said, hey, we know we are seeing people come in from being referred and we can see that they have, you know, there are issues here, there are challenges with uh, technology. So what, what exactly are you seeing? And we made a laundry list of all the things that they're seeing and we built a course around that. And that's how we developed that course initially. And that was 
years ago that we did that. And of course, we've done it, we've modified it. So we continue to talk to them and new things arise. And so I think that's important for success is really being connected to your community partners. Uh, we do the same thing with Ontario Works. We reach out to, you know, church organizations, we reach out to the city, we reach out to anybody we can think of that um, would be in contact with people that may um, may need or may benefit from things that we can offer through the program. So that's, I think, really important best practice for LBS. Um, the other thing I always say, and I find it funny that people don't do this, but as an administrator, I'm responsible, obviously, for the performance of the program. And I think it's really important to make sure that all your staff understands that as well. Um, I don't think that stuff should be a secret. I think that everybody should be on board and understand what the performance expectations are from the funder and understand why you're asking them to collect certain information so that people don't just get mad that they're doing it. They need to know why they're doing it. And I think that a lot of administrators think it might be overwhelming for people but I actually think it's it's really important for people to understand that and have that foundation. And it, I think it makes the program more successful because everybody understands why you're asking for information and why you're asking for people to do things. Um, and it also makes your data better because everybody's more willing to participate in the process. So that 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 and the other thing with community uh community connections i think labor market is important too and i think a lot of programs should really focus more on local labor market information and kind of try to adapt or modify or develop programming that meets the needs of labor markets because i think that um that's another way to draw other community partners in if i can add in on the uh the partnership and, and working with communities. Uh, Linda has done this for years, since day one. She does a lot of traveling, visits a lot of different communities, and sometimes the partnerships don't go anywhere. And I think what's required is a fair bit of patience because what we've seen is everything seems to move in a circle. And Linda could be talking to with a community five years ago and she might reach out and they might connect maybe once a year, but then all of a sudden you get the call or you get the email. <clears throat> And they're ready and they're prepared. They know exactly what they're looking for. They have a good sense of how we can we can help. And then it takes off from there. But I think that would be one thing I would maybe just add in is, you know, with those community partnerships, sometimes we just need a bit of patience. The, uh, the cycle could be really quick or it could be longer than what you hope for. But uh, yeah, it's, it's huge. I think it's incredible. Yeah, you have to be persistent in this field. And that's the like that persistent, like continuously reminding people making connections. And that like I said, sometimes that annoys me too, because I feel like it's, you know, it's a lot of work. And why do we have to do it? But it does pay off. And when it pays off, it's a big payoff. Um, but yeah, it, it can take some time, a lot of time. I agree. Yeah. Yep. The transparency and the patience are definitely two things that that are key to this type of success. What else? What elevates a program from good to great? Like it it sounds like you've kind of covered a lot of that uh, with making community community connections and so forth. But what else? What else is there? They can't be all of it. Um, I think 
you have to also, I think staff needs to be really well supported. And I think that that's one thing that does stretch people a little thin. Sometimes we're so busy supporting learners um, because, I mean, the reality is we are really targeting the hardest to serve populations. And that that's, you know, we have a limited, limited budgets and we need to really focus on that because we have to make sure that we're, we're spending public money in a way that makes sense. And so that is why, you know, our suitability criteria is really focused on what, what the government considers hardest to serve populations. And that's, you have to put a lot of effort into that. And I think, I think what, what sometimes gets missed is that staff support piece, like making sure your staff feels well supported. I think this has come out a lot through COVID, like the, that staff, it's really important for staff um, and, it, and it's hard to do and it, it's, it takes a lot of effort and energy to do it. So I think that makes a great program because when staff feel supported, I think that then learners are better supported and, and staff are happier at their jobs. Um, I think giving staff the opportunity to think outside the box too is good. Like I, I like to challenge my staff and and say, you know, like, if you ask me a question, I never usually give them an answer. I, I kind of give them the tools to find the answer themselves. Or, you know, if they have a great idea about something, I'm like, run with it. Like, let's let's do it. Like, see, like, try to do it. See what, what do you need to make that happen? So I think those that's important. I think that helps really make a program successful. Um, and the other thing, and I talked about this earlier, and it's something we've really had to had to do a lot during COVID is that just try to make your programming, keep your programming as flexible as possible so that learners can access the programming. And it, the flexibility, you there are limits to what you can do, but try to build in as much flexibility as you can so that learners can access, access the program. Um, something, and then another thing that I think makes the program really great, and I think sometimes people forget that, but at, learners are adults. And you have to treat them like adults. You have to be respectful of the fact that they're adults. And I think that that makes the program great because I think that's where you have the learners telling other people, you know, this program is great. It can help you do all these things. You know, it's, I, I think that helps. And just reminding yourself of that too, over and over again. So let's flip this now. What are the things that LBS programs should absolutely not be doing? And you don't mm -hmm. get to say the opposite of all the great stuff that I just said. We're going to challenge you. <laughs> yeah, um, I think oh, that's a hard one. I I think that it's it's. It, I don't know. I don't really know the answer to that question. I'm going to be honest. I I thought I I thought about this a little bit, and I mean, I always like to think in the positive. So it's hard to think think about things that you shouldn't be doing. I mean, you should absolutely you know, I, I not be doing the reverse of all the things I've said are positive, which you just told me I couldn't use as an answer. Um, <laughs> I think LBS programs should avoid not thinking outside of the box. And I think they should avoid staying in a rut with what they do do day to day. I think that they should avoid doing the same thing over and over again. I think you should avoid, um, I think, I think a lot of people get comfortable with like certain curriculum that they use or materials that they use. And I actually think that you should avoid doing that. I think you should avoid doing the same thing over and over again. 
we we deliver a lot of uh, what I like to think of as finite programming, targeted training. There's a curriculum, there's time attached. That's like a course instead of just people coming in. And one of the things that I always encourage is that every time we run it, we look at the material again and we adjust it based on what happened. So I think I think that you should avoid falling into the rut of using the same stuff over and over and doing the same things over and over again. It's actually boring for the practitioners. Um, and I think that's how people get it. It, it kind of contributes a bit to burnout doing the same thing over and over again, which sounds a little counterintuitive, but I think it does. I think having doing new things actually contributes to not being as burnt out. So I don't know, that's, uh, that's kind of the best I can come up with right now. Yeah, one thing that I um, advice that I would have for my nine years of experience in this field is if you identify that somebody might be in the wrong program for them, like don't hold on to them, like do your research, reach out to the other partnership organizations and see if you can find something that makes more sense for them. That's a little bit more suitable. And that leads me to my next question. So we have tons and tons of success stories uh, that we hear in adult learning, but we also hear about people who have less success because like I said, sometimes they're in the wrong place for them. So we're going to kind of redirect here and ask you, what should a learner look for in an LBS program to help ensure their own success? Again, I think it goes back to that concept of a program should really focus on the fact that they're working with adults. Um, we look at, we try, from, from a programming perspective, we try to make sure that when people come in, they understand that that we're they're adults. So we we ask them to set their own schedule, for example. Like that's a, that's a very, you know, we understand that they have their own lives, they have commitments, they have things that they have to do. So that's fine. We understand that. We're here to be flexible, we're here to support them. Um, so you tell us what makes sense for you. But I think a learner also needs to look for a program that is willing to actually set expectations for them. Um, and that's an, also an important component of that. So you can set your own schedule and you tell us what you want to learn, but there are clear expectations around that. Um, and if you are not meeting the expectations or this doesn't make sense, then it, we have, you know, we have a process where we make a decision and you, you, you leave the program. So I think that's important to have those things clearly laid out for learners. Um, we like, I think learners should look for a program that when you go to that program, they treat it like it's, it's a job. I guess. And we, we often tell learners that we say to them, when you come to our program, we want you to treat this like this is your job or one of your jobs. So we're, but with, with a little more flexibility, but if you, you know, if you're not going to come, then you need to let us know. Um, if you need to change something, we need to have a discussion, you know, like we, we like to look at it like that. And I think that learners should look for programs that are clear about that. They're willing to support you. They're willing to be flexible, but they're also willing to set, you know, some parameters around what they do. I think it's really important too that, you know, when a client and a learner, when they walk through that front door, they feel comfortable. You know, it feels warm. It feels welcoming. They're not being judged. You know, no one has an opinion on anything. It's just, you know, welcome to our program. Let's, that's a huge, huge piece because if people don't feel comfortable or if it, feels too much like a school and it's too mainstream and that didn't work out for them the first time around, 
maybe that's a sign too that it's just not just not right. Yeah, I think those are all really valid points to to Warren. Like just people, you know, it needs to be a place where they can feel comfortable. Um, it needs to be an adult environment. They need to have support, but they don't need to have somebody constantly telling them what to do. It's it's a there's a different, it's a different dynamic, right? Like you're still your practitioners are still teaching, but they're supporting and leading people, kind of as opposed to standing at the front of the room and telling them what to do. It's, it's a different environment. So we have, uh, I mean, our instructors, they do, if we're doing targeted training, they will instruct, you know, there's parts of lessons where they might stand up and do, do some instruction, but they have a, a, a table in the room like everybody else and they sit down and, you know, if people are working independently, sometimes the instructor's not even in the room, they're in the room next door. And if you need them, you just come and talk to them in that room. And, you know, it's, it's a conversation as opposed to kind of a, you know, dictation. Um, Timelines do, I think are important for learners to make them comfortable. I think, um, you know, they should have time to complete things. Life happens. Um, they need to, you know, sometimes things they, they need to be in an environment where they understand that if something happens, it can be accommodated, you know, as long as everybody's transparent and upfront. Um, and I don't mean details of transparency, but just letting people know that something's going on and I need more time and that should be okay for an adult learner. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that completely. And the funny thing too is, is that one of my biggest fears is when a client walks through that front door and if they don't feel comfortable, then they leave. Good good luck getting them to walk back through those doors. You, you kind of almost have one shot. And if uh, if they don't feel good about it, you can tell them whatever you want to, whatever you want to say, they may not be interested in, in coming back. So it's uh, it's a pretty important moment. Yep, absolutely. So, so Robin, um, if any. Uh, anybody out there listening wants to access your consulting services, how do they get in touch with you? Um, they would just email me. Um, usually I'm pretty inundated with stuff. So what I tell people, honestly, is if you want to connect with me, I'm not that hard to find on the internet. So okay, that's, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't, I don't actively usually I don't actively pursue work usually. I just, <laughs> I end up doing things as asked. So I, I try not to, uh, I, you know, I just, I leave it up to people to use their uh, their research skills to find me if they need to find me. I'm really not that hard to find. Um, mm-hmm. I'm accessible through through Labac Literacy Ontario, obviously not for consulting work, um, but I have a private email, but it's pretty widely known. So. so people just Google RCR Consulting and they'll find you? Yeah. Or awesome. my name. They'll probably find me. Okay. Uh, Warren, any final thoughts? We probably could have gone on for another few hours. Like, I think we highlighted a lot of great points. I think Robin's shared a lot of great information for, for other programs that are out there. Um, you know, feel very grateful to have Robin join us today. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. I really appreciate you spending your morning with us. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Um, it was a great first podcast experience. So we're really glad to hear it. And thank you so much for joining us. And uh, like we were talking about in the waiting area before we got started, there is so many more things that we would absolutely love to talk to you about. So it would be great to have you back in the future. Love to. Awesome. 
So one more thing that we should mention is that if you are listening to this on the day that it is uploaded, you are heading into a fabulous long weekend. A family day is on Monday, so we encourage you to look online in your community and see what kind of events there are for spending some quality time with your loved ones. That about wraps this episode up for us today. As always, if you have any questions or feedback about anything that you've heard on this episode, please feel free to reach out to me by email. My email is diane at shlc.ca. That's D-I-A-N-E at shlc.ca. Also remember to like and follow Good Learning Anywhere on Facebook to keep up to date on news, events, and upcoming courses. And follow our podcast by hitting that subscribe button on your favorite podcasting platform. And don't forget that if you're interested in taking some courses with us to register at goodlearninganywhere.com. Thank you once again, everybody, for listening. And we are looking forward to plugging in with you once again next month. <laughs>